That is Harry Styles singing Watermelon Sugar. This is Stacy Julian with episode 78 of Exactly Enough Time. podcast about being present. It's about recognizing the time you have to enjoy the people, places, and things important to you. Did you know we can choose to be curious and playful, to live with intention and to create connection. I am a life enthusiast and a believer. I tell stories and I'm so grateful that you are here. Thank you for listening. Watermelon Sugar. Harry Styles of One Direction fame debuted this song in October 2019, but it has really taken off this summer since May. The meaning of Watermelon Sugar has been heavily debated, but I can guarantee you that what I think about when I hear this catchy song is not anything close to what Harry was envisioning, and this is because Watermelon Sugar causes me to think of my grandpa McDougal. If everything goes as planned, this episode will be published very early in the morning on July 23rd. You guys, my grandpa, James Lauren McDougall, was born on July 23rd, 1910. He passed away in 1992. He's been gone a long time. But one very clear recollection I have of my grandpa McDougall is watching him pick out a watermelon. My grandmother was legally blind, so grandpa did all of the grocery shopping. And when I visited, sometimes in the summer, he would take me to the grocery store to buy watermelon so that we could eat a slice each evening before bed. As you know, food is a powerful conveyor of memories. So it makes sense that my siblings and cousins also associate Grandpa McDougal or Mac as he was known, with watermelon. Not too long ago, I discovered a small original print of Grandpa as a young adult with traveling companions standing on the side of a road eating watermelon. Oh my gosh, I had to do something with this photo. But what? And then it dawned on me, social media. I'm a big fan of this instant sharing and the ability that we have to virtually connect across the mile. So I sent my McDougal family some emails and text messages inviting them to help me celebrate grandpa's upcoming birthday by eating watermelon and posting the pictures and some memories to Instagram and Facebook. We would all use the hashtag watermelon for James on our posts so that we could easily see them together and find them again. So on July 22nd, 2015, I posted a reminder to Instagram and during the following day, 10 additional photos were posted. The first that popped up featured my cousin James. Guess where he got that name? (laughs) And nine of grandpa's great grandchildren lined up on the lawn eating watermelon. It is difficult to express the joy that I felt in that moment. 
Can it really be this easy to share our memories and connect families in this way? Indeed. Photos were posted from Kansas, Colorado, Utah, and Washington. One of my cousins even took watermelon to work with her and posted on her lunch break. When my brother posted, I noticed the way he had cut his watermelon, and I suddenly remembered this detail. Grandpa McDougal always cut his melons into big, round slices that covered the entire plate. Later in the day, my mom confirmed in her Instagram post that this is true. This is how Grandpa cut his watermelons. So I now have this recurring reminder set on my calendar, my July calendar, so that we can continue our tradition of celebrating this man, our grandpa, that we love, so that we can continue to pass this connection that we share on. If you'd like to see posts for yourself, open up your Instagram app or Facebook and type in the hashtag watermelonforjames in the search field. And hopefully there will be some new images that will be popping up this week. So this idea of eating something memorable on an ancestor's birthday is an example of what I like to call a small and simple thing. So there's actually this scripture that I love that says, by small and simple things are great things brought to pass. So one of the great things I want to do as a mother, as a family member, as a storyteller, is I want to connect my children with the people that have come before me, before us, our ancestors. And I love this idea of creating family history connections in very small and simple ways. The first time that I taught or presented at Roots Tech, which is the global conference that is the intersection of family history and technology was back in 2015. And so what I'm sharing with you today is exactly what I presented back then. And I have three specific ideas. So I'm going to jump right in. Number one, remember that one brief exchange, one conversation can forge a lasting connection. So I love to tell the story of what I call my mini moment. And this happened shortly after my third son was born. Um, I always knew I wanted kids. I didn't think a lot about it, but I always knew I was going to have a daughter first because I'm the oldest daughter and moms need daughters, right? And so I just assumed I was going to have a daughter. Well, then the third boy comes along, you know, and I'm feeling a little overwhelmed, grateful for sure, a little overwhelmed. And I have this call this conversation I should say with my mom one day and I'm like, mom, what <laughs> ever? I am running around all day long chasing these, you know, two little boys and now this baby and I was supposed to have a girl, but I guess I'm specializing. And my mom just kind of chuckled and she said, Stacy, it's too bad you can't sit down and talk with Minnie. And I said, mom, who is Minnie? And she said, Stacy, Minnie, Minnie McDougal, your great grandmother. And I was kind of like, huh, there was a vague, you know, recognition of maybe this name that I had seen, you know, on a pedigree chart somewhere. And I was like, okay, well, why would I want to talk with Minnie? And she said, Stacy, Minnie had James. So her oldest boy is James, 
watermelon for James. That's Minnie's oldest child. And she said, and then she gave birth to Mary Ruth. Only Mary Ruth only lived about six months and then she passed away, which was not all that uncommon back then. Minnie went on to have nine additional boys. Boys. She said, Minnie knows how to raise boys. And I bet you would love to be able to sit down and talk with her. Okay, you guys, in one short conversation, I immediately felt connected to this woman that I've never met. My mom was right. I would love to sit down and talk to Minnie. And I began to learn everything I could about her. And I discovered that our lives, our daily lives, are nothing alike. Minnie lived in Wisconsin. I live in Washington. I mean, Minnie didn't drive a car. She didn't even have a girlfriend, as far as I can tell, you know, for a couple of miles away from her. She didn't have a telephone. She, you know, had one of her sons go get the horses and the wagon ready when she wanted to go into town. Minnie churned her own butter. I mean, all of these things that were very and that are very foreign to me. And yet, I do know, I do believe that Minnie and I would have a blast talking about boys and raising boys and the desires that mothers have when they are rearing boys. So that is what I call my mini moment. Now, the reason that that moment happened is because of my mom. My mom was, I don't know, smart enough in that moment to to see the opportunity of introducing me to Minnie or to the idea of learning more about Minnie. So the more we know about our own grandparents, the more easily it will be for us to introduce similarities or connections to our children. I'm so grateful. I honestly believe that my mother, that that spark that she gave me is the genesis of my love today for family history. So go mom. But but remember that you can create a connection with one exchange. That's pretty cool. Oh, and I have to tell you one more super cool thing. So Minnie's little girl, Mary Ruth, was born on May 17th. My mother, Minnie's first granddaughter, after all of those sons, her oldest son grows up, first child is a baby girl, baby Connie. And guess when she was born? May 17th. Now, let's just say there is a God and that God loves his children I can't know this for sure, but I think on May 17th, 1941, Minnie knew that God knew that her heart was still missing her daughter. And I'm choosing to make that a small and simple thing from the other side. And it gets better. When Connie had a girl, me, and I grew up and I became the editor of a scrapbook magazine, guess what I got for Christmas? My mom gave me the scrapbook. That's what it says on the cover, scrapbook, two words. She gave me the scrapbook that Minnie made for her and mailed to her when she was probably three or four years old. I still have Minnie's scrapbook. What a treasure. I love that connection that I share with her, multiple connections. Okay, number two. I want you to look for clues 
to physical connections that are lurking in biographical sketches and letters or other information documentation that you have of family members. Okay, so in a sketch, now that I'm learning all about Minnie, I found a sketch about Minnie, and it was written by one of her daughters-in-law, Larie, and this is what Larie wrote. Minnie always had cookies on hand. Icebox cook, I'm sorry, icebox cookies, sugar cookies, spice cookies, raisin cookies, and oatmeal cookies. They were usually four or five inches in diameter. Wow. Or cut and diced in many shapes for special occasions. For Easter, Thanksgiving, and Christmas, she began her baking at least a month or so in advance. She had five or six five-gallon, listen to this, honey tins with large lids, which were her cookie cans. She had a can for each kind of cookie and would put them upstairs in the storeroom where it was cooler to keep them fresh and ready to serve. Okay, so I read that and I was like, what the heck is a honey tin? So I opened up Google and I typed in honey tin and guess what popped up? eBay. These honey tins, these old, rusty, super cool looking honey tins. And I even found one that was marked, has this cool old label on it, vintage label, and it was marked Wisconsin, where many had lived. And then I lost it on eBay. <laughs> I was like, what? But I kept looking and I eventually found a small honey tin that I purchased. And yes, I keep my cookies in it. Now, I don't make cookies very often, and the cookies I make, I do make a yummy oatmeal gluten-free cookie, but the cookies I make go inside this honey tin. It's my cookie jar, and, and keeping my cookies in this jar, and there's a photo of it in the show notes, okay, but keeping my cookies in this is a small and simple thing. It's a tangible connection to my great-grandmother, something that I use to remember her and something that I can use to keep her present and even more important, introduce her to my children. So my kids know that the reason we keep our cookies in this little honey tin is because that's what my great-grandmother Minnie did. So here's a few other ideas, things that you would find in my home if you came to visit. So inside a little cabinet where I keep some of my smaller scrapbooks, you will find a tin of stick candy, like old fashioned stick candy. And I learned one day reading about a fourth great grandfather, Joseph Hall. I read that his grandchildren, actually again, a story written by one of his granddaughters, I learned that his grandchildren loved to come to his house because up on the clock shelf, he kept a tin of stick candy and he would get it down and pass it around. And so now I have a tin of stick candy. When I was grown, for sure, um, it's been several years, um, I was visiting my grandma and grandpa's house that, um, that I loved to visit when I was young. My grandpa had already passed, but I was up in his bathroom and I opened his, the mirror that's above the bathroom sink and um, I had just washed my hands and I was like, oh, what's this? And it was this bottle of something called corn huskers lotion. And I pulled it off and I took the lid off and I was just gonna put it on my hands for lotion. But as I was doing that, I took, I sniffed, I, I took a whiff and I was like, oh, this is exactly what my 
grandpa smelled like. And I never knew. I never knew why. It was just a scent that I associated, a good scent that I associated with him. Like when you would, when he would give you a hug, this is what he smelled like. And guess what? It was because he used corn huskers lotion. So now in our laundry room, we have a bottle of corn huskers lotion just on a little shelf above the laundry room sink. And next to that lotion is a picture of my grandpa Hall. On the little windowsill above my kitchen sink, I have a little plastic Cracker Jacks prize. It, it's a trophy. It looks like a little trophy and it says world's greatest mother. And it used to sit on the little windowsill above my grandma Hall's kitchen sink. And one day she gave it to me. I have that same grandmother's purse, one of her purses, and a pair of her leather gloves displayed in are what I call our music memory room. So there's all kinds of just little physical things that we can keep around us. We can display with photos or not that can represent people and remind us to keep the memory of these people alive, especially for our kids. Now I know you're probably already doing something or many things like this, small and simple efforts. But sometimes we neglect to point out the significance in these things. So my family recently went on a bike ride and not just an ordinary bike ride, but a bike ride down the Hiawatha Trail. Look it up. It's amazing. But it's a 15 mile trail on an old railway line that goes through probably 10 different tunnels. The first tunnel you go through is very, very long. It's almost two miles long and Trust me when I tell you it's freezing cold and just completely and utterly black, dark inside. So you have to have a flashlight either strapped to your helmet or tied to your bike in some way so that you can see. But even with that light, it's very <laughs> dark and cold. And I was riding along with Addie and I kept checking with her, Addie, how are you doing? Addie, how are you doing? And then all of a sudden I heard her say, hey mom, will you sing a song? And I'm like, what a great idea. <laughs> and I have no idea who else heard me. There were people who were passing me, but I started singing to Addie. And I sang, you are my sunshine. And I sang, bushel in a peck. And I sang, paper moon. And then later when we were riding home, I realized, do you know why those songs immediately came to mind for me to sing to Addie? Yeah, you probably do know why. Because my mom sang them to me. And so I told Addie about that. I said, Addie, do you know what? Do you remember when we were singing together in the tunnel? And of course she knows those songs because I've sung them before. She said, yeah. And I said, I chose those songs because those are the same songs my mom sang to me. So just doing that, taking that extra step of explaining why we're doing something or pointing out the significance of some physical thing in our home that's the opportunity we have that helps create the connection. There's a really good chance that you have a family recipe that you love to make. Maybe it's connected to a mother or a grandmother or an aunt. And maybe you make it very specifically um, you know, at a certain time of year for a certain holiday. But do other people know that? I have a project that I want to complete this year that's just, I'm gonna open up the cupboards to our baking cupboard and on the inside of the cupboard, cupboard I'm gonna put some cork board. And I'm just gonna pin 
next to some of these original recipes, and most of them I don't even need the recipe card anymore because I know how to make them, right? But I'm gonna pin that original recipe card next to a photo of the person that that recipe came from, and maybe even just a little bit of the story next to it. Those are the opportunities we have, and that's actually number three. Number three, the third thing that I wanted to share with you today is to then go take that extra step of creating physical spaces in our homes that will spark conversations and strengthen these family connections. And the good news is it's not hard. It's truly as simple as printing a photo to display next to a physical object or creating some kind of display on the inside of a baking cupboard or on a shelf above the sink in your laundry room. Okay, so quick review before I wrap up. Number one, it takes just one brief exchange or conversation to forge a lasting connection. It's not your job to tell your children everything you know. It's your job to pique their interest and curiosity so that they will want to learn more. Number two, look for clues to little physical objects or just things you can display or use to create connection. Look for those clues lurking inside letters or biographical sketches or whatever you have access to as you read through it. Once you understand this concept of small and simple things, I promise as you read through a letter or some kind of information, you'll go, oh, I could, I could do this or I could do that. Okay. And number three, Look for spaces in your home where you can display photos and objects that will continue to remind people about these connections. It can be something as simple as pulling out a a musical instrument. We have Jeff's grandfather's violin, one of the violins that he used as a violin teacher. We have that on display in our home. And I know, again, that you're already doing these things. So pat yourself on the back and realize that there is power in these kinds of physical spaces and in in the way that we display bits and pieces of our past. So now, if this is new to you and you're like, okay, I wanna do this, how do I get started? That's when you turn to an ancestry.com, a familysearch.org, any of these websites that are set up to help you find the genealogical information that you're seeking, they're easier to use than you might think. And you can start with something as simple as a four-generation pedigree chart. And I will even link to one in the show notes because I want you so badly to dive into this. You print a four-generation pedigree chart and fill it out. Fill out what you know. And then as you learn about each of these people, you know, put a big star next to their name and, and note what it is that you're going to do, something that you're going to, to observe on their birthday or something that you're going to bring into your home or something that you're going to add to a holiday tradition that will link people back to them and to their memory. Okay, so two days ago, I saw the coolest thing on Instagram. This is my friend Alyssa, who happens to be really good friends with one of my sons. And she, in a post, it's a picture of her wearing a red baseball hat. Okay, and she said, today, I wore my grandpa's old hat at one of his favorite places in the world. Lake Crescent is one of the most underappreciated lakes and seriously the most beautiful I've ever been to. And if you do that pinch and zoom thing to zoom in on the photo, you'll see that the hat that she's wearing says Lake Crescent Lodge. 
Okay, I love that. And that's truly as easy as this is. Wearing something that belonged to a parent or grandparent and wearing it to a place they loved to spend time. That's a small and simple thing. So go Alyssa. I have no doubt in my mind that Alyssa will return to Lake Crescent again and again and at some future date with her children and she will tell them stories of her grandpa and let them wear that same hat. I want to share one more story of a small and simple thing with the caveat that these things sometimes aren't so simple and sometimes don't feel small at all. My longtime friend and current student in my 20 and 20 class, Lorna, is creating a legacy gift from her mom to the grandchildren and great-grandchildren in her family. And I share this with her permission. Lorna writes, It all started when I purchased some home-shaped cookie cutters that had little hearts in them for the nieces and nephews Christmas gifts back in 2014. When her mom saw them, she decided that if she wrote out the family famous cookie recipe, then the gift could come from both of them. But Lorna's mom's arthritis held her back. She wanted, of course, and importantly, to handwrite each of the quick change cookies recipe cards. And it took her weeks to get one card copied. She made it through six of them by July 2015 but sadly passed away just a few weeks later. Her house was put on the market and then followed a flurry of sorting, purging, and packing that consumed the remainder of that year. Lorna goes on, I didn't even get to the unpacking of Christmas boxes for the next four years, and when I finally unpacked the project box, I just cried and cried for weeks with a conglomeration of grief and emotions. She said, I started last fall a letter to the grands, the grandchildren, but I couldn't get it finished. I worked on it again in February for Valentine's Day and again set it aside. Mother's Day came and went. Her birthday came and went. Is this sounding at all familiar? Sometimes these efforts to create legacy stories and connections, sometimes they're easy to procrastinate. And rightly so, because there is so much emotion and often grief tied up in them. But I am happy to report that Lorna has just recently purchased chipboard boxes in the shape of a book for each of these grandchildren. And inside, she'll be placing some of her mother's recipe cards along with a picture of her mom and all of the siblings from the 1950s. This very personal gift that Lorna is preparing for her nieces and nephews, these grandchildren, will be a small and simple thing, but it will represent so much more. It will represent for these now adults raising their own children, schooling them from home during a time of pandemic. It will represent a time when they used to gather around their grandmother's kitchen table and share tea and cookies together. And the thing that I think is really special is the fact that Lorna, the aunt, the one without children of her own, she is the one that's choosing to bridge this gap between her mother, her mother's generation, and now these great-grandchildren. 
Lorna concludes by writing, Mom's legacy of love over tea and cookies is truly a family tradition that has taken hold, whether they know it or not. (laughs) Isn't that the truth? So much of what we work to document and share might not seem like it's being appreciated or enjoyed in the way that we would like it to be, but it's still worth your effort, I promise. When I wrapped up my presentation at Roots Tech back in 2015, I did it with this. I said, I love the intent and premise behind author and historian Michael Wilcox's book, 10 Great Souls I Want to Meet in Heaven. In the preface, Dr. Wilcox writes about gathering people that he loves, people that have blessed and influenced him, even people he knows only from scripture and history into his mental city so that he can prepare to meet them someday. Quote, over the years since that first moment of enlightenment, I have added dozens of men and women to the population of my mental city. I am at ease with them and enjoy our conversations across the ages. I feel that I am rich and prosperous in lives. We can all enjoy the vast wealth of wondrously lived lives and make such lovely friends. We are openly invited to explore and draw upon personal accounts of human experience as need arises. These singular people of the past move within my mind, offering counsel, encouragement, comfort, and insight. End quote. I love that, you guys. We create connection and relationships with people all by ourselves, in our own minds, and through our own efforts. And we can extend this opportunity to others. But it's our lives that are richly blessed by getting to know our ancestors and other people, like Dr. Wilcox talks about in his book, Other People in History. And I think, as a believer, as we anticipate that great family reunion that follows this life, we'll want to prepare ourselves for meeting and conversing with family members that we have worked to search out. We'll want to have something other than just names and dates to approach them with. And if we've created these shared experiences with them, we will have all the more to talk about. I want my boys to run up to Minnie McDougal and say, Hey, Grandma Minnie, you're the cookie tin, Grandma. That's what I want them to say. So watch your Instagram feed today, use the hashtag watermelon for James, and then print yourself a pedigree chart and see what you can begin doing to celebrate the people in your family line. What can you do to introduce them and their lives and their perspective to your family now? I know as you think about this and ponder the possibilities that you will discover many, many small and simple things. Thank you so much for listening. I will be back next Thursday with another episode of Exactly Enough Time. And you know what? I almost forgot to tell you that if you visit the show notes at stacyjulian.com, you'll get to watch a video that walks you through a pretty cool project exposing the truth about watermelon.